to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host. And hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Tip Top Tim Fitch, and welcome to the Construction Big Breakfast. Today, we're going to be diving into all sorts of interesting topics to do with railway safety and communication on large-scale construction sites. Joining me to, for today's podcast is my very special guest, Stuart Labrook. Welcome to the podcast, Stuart. Thanks, Tim. Uh, can you give the listeners a little intro about yourself? Yeah, hi everyone. I'm uh, Stuart Labrook. I'm the CEO of OnWave. Um, I'm a civil engineer by profession. I spent many years within Bam Nuttall, then joined the railway signalling company, uh, and for the last 11 years I've been running on Wave, which is a telecoms and technology business. Stuart, it's great to have you on today. The first question before we get into the topics, won't be a surprise, what did you have for breakfast today? Cereal. Cereal? Yeah, I know, very uninvented. Don't worry, don't worry. We take all comers on this <laughs> um, uh, podcast. I had a fry up at a local cafe uh, with one of my colleagues who had a bit of a pre-day meeting. But anyway, that, that's <coughs> fairly typical for me. So, Stuart, the business you work for is very interesting. It's uh, an innovator. And as I understand it, you've developed this really interesting product which yeah. is suitable for, well, railway infrastructure, in fact, any long type of infrastructure project. That's Just tell right. us a bit about it. it's OWL, it's called OWL, isn't it? Yeah, it's called OWL. Um, so OWL's a bit of my brainchild, I guess, from working on the railway infrastructure programmes for many years. Um, OWL actually stands for On-Wave Locator, and what it's about, Tim, is really... Um, understanding what's happening in the field. You know, one of my frustrations when we had had the railway signalling business was I'd brief the guys in the morning, we'd meet them at the depot, we'd give them their work instruction and we'd give them the method statements, their briefings, we'd dispatch them to go to work, they'd drive off 100 miles around the country, at which point I'd lost control. You know, I had no understanding where the guys were doing, whether they were following those briefings. So Al's taking that that challenge really and, and trying to answer that with technology. So, do you want me to elaborate? Well, well, well yeah, I'm just for everyone else's um, interest, I had a long career in rail before I became sure. a guru. And uh, so I understand, I understand some of the sensibilities, but maybe for some of our listeners, they won't understand that or won't be aware of it. So for, we're talking about working on a live railway, aren't we? Absolutely. The trains yeah, yeah. either running or they're stopped very temporarily, and of course it's high danger zone. A absolutely, yeah. I think uh, over the last, we've un had some unfortunate incidents with people going into areas that, that um, they're not familiar with, or they've got disorientated, they've lost their situational awareness, and and now is a, a fundamentally it uses geofences, which are virtual fences for the real world and it helps the guys orient themselves in, in the environment, understand where the hazards are, understand where the safe zones and unsafe zones are, So, in a visual kind of sense, like you'd use Google Maps on the street. So, for the benefit of everybody, just, just explain the concept of geofencing. So, as I said, so geof like, 
traditional fences, we put a permanent physical barrier up. We stop people going into areas. You know, geofences are a, a virtual barrier and you use that to trigger alerts, for example, on a mobile application or a handheld device. So they don't exist, they're not visible. They can be visible within an application such as Google Maps or an interface like that. Um, but the guys would be able to visualize where they are, their little dot, if you like, on a Google Maps. They can see those geofences and they can be alerts can be triggered as they enter, they approach these, these hazardous zones, if you like, the operational railway, for example. They might have one line open, one line closed, as you know, in the railway infrastructure environment. So just just because obviously we've got to, people have got to imagine this imagine, uh, yeah. for today, for the purpose of today. There's a, they've either got a tablet or a phone, they can see where the fence is on a map. Absolutely. Presumably there's something that's going to poke them in the ribs if they overstep the mark. How does that work? Yeah, so um, we've kind of got different layers of the technology. So as you said, the first layer is the use of the mobile phone. That we can trigger to vibrate. Um, haptic, so haptic vibration or audible alerts. Um, we've also developed from the ground up some tag technology, uh, and this is little wearable devices for the user. Um, and what those do is exactly the same. They give you a visual or an audible or a, or a, or a haptic alert. So if you stray in, they'll automatically go off. And, and the way we've designed this for Network Rail is that the alert will persist until the user gets themselves back to a position of safety. Um, so the benefits of our listeners who aren't in the UK, Network Rail is the national, national rail yeah. infrastructure. They don't run trains, do they? They run the they infrastructure. They manage, manage the infrastructure, manage yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we're, we're having some interesting conversations, obviously, outside of rail, highways infrastructure, um, mining, you know, anything that has a, a large footprint and the and the workforce is really dispersed, I guess, is, is what so it is. Maybe if we just explore things other than railway sure. just for a minute. So if we take uh, highway, you know, road building, I mean, High Speed 2 is effectively a road, isn't it? Because there aren't any operational trains on it yet. High Street, yes, High Street environment. Um, uh, and mining, of course. All of these things, rather than trains moving, you've got massive lumps of plant moving up and down, you know, the dump truck scrapers. Absolutely. Excavators and things of that nature. So, how, how, and they're moving, aren't they? And they're not moving along a rail. So, how, yeah. how does your technology work in those situations? Absolutely. So, um, what we've done with the same technology that we'd apply to a person, so we can know where they are moving around and how they're interacting with these zones, what we can do is take that same technology, we can place that on an excavator, a dump truck, you know, a, a large moving piece of plant. And we can create a the same geofence, so a same virtual fence perimeter, and as that moves, it, it updates. So it's effectively a moving geofence surrounding that item of plant. So we can exclude people, we can define policies that say, you know, actually the digger driver can go in, the excavator driver, the dumper driver, but actually we want to exclude banksmen, we want to exclude those that shouldn't be in the vicinity of that bit of plant. Um, so, so exactly the same technology is used, we just use it in a slightly different way. Um, and there's a number of challenges around that, um, which we've solved by using a combination, I guess, of technologies. One's a technology called RTK, real-time kinematics, which, <laughs> which gives you really accurate positioning. 
sub half meter, and I think that's one of the biggest differentiators within our. But also local local technologies, so you can reinforce the the let's call it the offside cloud environment. Yeah, so local technologies like ultra wideband and, and different things. For so all you've got the geofences, you've got the bits of plant, you've got people. Presumably each person you know what they are, who they are, what tickets they've got, where they could go, where they're not allowed to go. That's all. What's the word? Predetermined. You've got that data in your system somewhere. Absolutely. Well, actually, we've built the system quite vanilla, so it can be used in in multi sectors. But the the customer or the project would ultimately input and collect the data that they want. That's important for those managing those interactions. Whether that's competence of the users, you know, whether that's you know the size of the bit of plant, therefore going to have a bigger zone, and that's all configurable by the by the customer within the application. And then the rollout is automated. You know, the application takes care of the distribution of that data to the users. Uh, and what we're also trying to do is tie, I guess, three things together: the where, the who, and the what. So the task, what what task have they assigned? Where are they meant? Where is that task taking place? And who's meant to be doing that task? You know, who's got the competence to do that task? So it's that triumvirate of things, I guess. I'm presuming you've got all this real-time data that goes up to the cloud somewhere. Absolutely. Means it's kept forever. Absolutely. Every customer gets their own database. Every customer has that data set to do and do the analysis. And it's again, it's about how do I make my guys in the field safer? How do I automate some of the alerting? How do I understand that I've set up the right safe system to work? You know, quite often guys in the field don't, you know, they're, they're not doing things deliberately, but the safe system that work that's been established for them isn't right for the environment or the environment's changed. You know, when I worked on a railway, we'd often see a rail drop would come and that would completely change the safe system of work because all of a sudden you've got piles of rail down the side. Now, that's not the guy's decision to do that, but you need to be able to react and, and change your processes and, and deal with those in the field and have the real-time feedback from the field as the guys see these new hazards or identify new issues. So does the system allow them to tag things that are happening so that can Absolutely. update itself? Absolutely. The guys in the field can build alerts. They can build their own geofences. Um, one of the challenge statements we had from Network Rail was, you know, as guys start hazardous tasks, for example, rail welding, they need to suddenly build an exclusion zone around that task because they're, you know, they're working hot works, etc. So it's, it's the ability for them to do that either off the mobile phone or off the tag, you know, to generate those geofences as their task starts and ends during so, the hazardous so, so in a way it's a bit like waves for construction sites. You've got, you've got your <laughs> users who are actually saying there's a policeman there with a speed gun and there's, <laughs> a, there's a broken manhole there and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that, but it's absolutely like that, Tim. Yeah, with, with some automatic alerting, I guess, to, to, to trigger as, as users approach or interact yeah. with those things. Yeah. So that fascinating, and that's a real innovation. I've not heard of that one before in construction or mining. Not that I know much about mining, but... No, I think I think the biggest step change really has been the the you know the price of electronics and these these technologies has historically been prohibitive, and I think we're getting to a stage now where they're becoming comparatively affordable versus the, with the gains you can achieve from both productivity, safety, you know, whether that's yeah. even managing the environment better, you know. So to make this work, <clears throat> yeah. obviously there's. 
there's tags and things that the plants got and the guys have got. What what do you need in terms of infrastructure to get all of this local data up into the cloud? Does it work on a normal three G or four five G network? Or? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if we're using a mobile phone, it will use the three or four G network that's been built within that mobile phone. If we're putting our own devices or our own tags out, those also have uh, cellular and mobile SIM in them. Um, they have roaming SIMs so we can connect to all the networks to improve the performance. You know, obviously we're still reliant on that. Um, and then the base stations that we use, again, they're cellular based, but we can also anchor those with more fixed line technology, you know. Uh, and, and they're really about giving us a really accurate picture of the location and movement of things on that site. Because it sort of allows you to do a local triangulation, is that? It does, it does. It does the correction to give you the accuracy, yeah. That's really, really interesting. Well, that sounds tremendous. I mean, I know it was developed for the railways, but there's obviously applications on road-type projects and also mining. Absolutely. We've already got very good engagement with National Highways um, for some of their new schemes coming on stream. Um, we're having conversations in the mining sector within Australia. We are also looking at using the technology, so Singapore have uh, announced a competition which we're currently bidding for, which is around protection of the public asset. So they've had a number of strikes on their asset, so if we can map that and give the um, machine operators an idea when they're coming in the vicinity of those assets, that's another application that we're with. We're chasing at the moment. That's so this would be you're talking about utilities, or are you talking about bridges and absolutely utilities. So this is deep buried yeah. mains or sewers within within Singapore that we're looking at. Yeah, which again you can't see from the surface, so you need a virtual. And in terms of adoption, I know that yeah. how obviously the big potential client in the UK is Network Rail. Yeah, how's things progressed there? Yeah, very good. So we are about to look at rolling out on Southern. One of, the new, one of the regions. Um, we've been through extensive trials with them over the last 12 months. We've had engagement with the unions. Product acceptance is, is due this week, so um, very excited Touch about that. Touchwood for you. Touchwood, yeah. So I'm very excited about that, and um, I think we're very close to starting the rollout and, and starting to see some safety improvements. We've built in quite a lot of, as you'd imagine with the unions, we've built in quite a lot of controls around privacy whether that's stopping the monitoring at the infrastructure boundary, because we only really worry when the guys are on site, you know, that's, that's our biggest interest, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's about tracking only where we need to uh, and kind of ruling out where we don't need to, you know, when the guys are going home. Well, that's interesting. With, I can understand that the union's been interested in this. Yeah. And I can see a plus and a minus from their perspective, I mean, they're not going to stand in the way of improving safety. And I think the, the example you've given is, sounds reasonable to me, that once you walk out the gate, it either doesn't record the data or it switches itself off, which it doesn't matter which it is. Yeah. What was the union's view about the, I guess there's a potential to measure productivity and things like that? Yeah, that's not been our focus with Network Rail, you know, they're, they're Focus has been very much on approving it from a safety perspective. Um, you know, whether that's managing possessions, making sure that the staff laying out those possessions are going to the right location to put them on the right lines. You know, so that's definitely been the focus. We've actually been completely anonymizing the users within Network Rails applications. So actually, 
we we can understand that the gang's having some issues, but we actually don't worry about it's you know it's Tim that keeps disobeying the policies that have been set. You know. No, fine. But so in terms of a sort of like at a gang level, you can see whether they there was enough people in that gang, whether in the right a place. Absolutely. Did yeah. they achieve what they set out to be? Absolutely. Yeah. But the way we originally envisaged our visit being multi-purpose, safety, productivity, you know, process, um, environment, managing the environment. Our actual first application was in the highway sector around grass mowing, you know, and that's about protecting, you know, wild, wild orchids or, you know, yeah. things that we shouldn't be cutting down and making sure we don't go and spread invasive species like Japanese knotweed. So, yeah, multi, multi-purpose. That sounds really promising. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear that the rollout started with Network Rail because obviously that's a massive market for this in the UK. Um, that's great. Now, hopefully that's sparked a few, some interest from our viewers. But that's, this is really part of what you do, isn't it? This grew out of your, what was your core business originally, which is on wave. Correct. Just tell us a little bit about that. So, um, on wave is a networking business, telecoms business. Um, we kind of set ourselves up to help customers within the construction and infrastructure get mobilized. You know, one of my frustrations as a project director I'd often get a contract quite late. You know, the customer would expect me on site the following week. You know, I'm trying to mobilise my teams. We're even more dependent on communications than in my day when I was on on projects. Um, you know, we can't work without teams nowadays. We can't work without the internet. Um, and, and now, and Onwave was built to really solve those problems, Tim. It was about mobilising fast, so our lead time is measured in days, not months or you know even longer. We give customers a service that matches their demand on site so we can help that grow. Um, and what we really are, we set up to be agnostic in our selection of vendors. So we're, we're like a network integrator where we, we build networks that are comprised of many elements, whether that's cellular, whether that's satellite and the new low earth orbit satellites are coming on stream, whether that's fixed line ethernet, you know, any combination of those to get the customer service when they need it and where they need it. So, if, as long as I make sure I've understood this, yep. somebody needs a, a site out in a green field somewhere, within yep. a few days you can get them online, sufficient bandwidth so that they've got the phones working, Absolutely, CCTV, you know, whatever, whatever the needs of that project are. And, it, you know, as you said, you know, it's about mobilising day one and then making sure that the transitions manage without any need or change for the customer. You know, quite often people will deploy a 4G solution day one, but then they've got to rip that out and completely transform that site and then re-IP, change all the addressing and, uh, you know, they go through this, um, I guess it's a challenge, you know, they have to have engineers back and we try and take care of all that, take that pain away. Um, and what we're seeing now is actually a move, you know, historically where we would have had large projects with multiple contractors involved and different solutions, what we're trying to do is go to the ultimate customer, whether that's National Highways and, and try, or, or, or Network Rail, we're trying to get them thinking about comms being the most important piece of their delivery jigsaw, and even for legacy to leave it behind for the general public or whatever that looks like. 
I know you've, been, you've, you've built this and you think an application in the future will be autonomous plant or semi-autonomous plant. Job is going to completely rely on this kind of thing. Absolutely. We have seen, uh, in fact we were talking about it only last week with one of my Canadian guests, that in the uh, agricultural uh, industry or sector in Canada, which is massive, yeah. and most of it's in Alberta, Port Prairies for a reason, uh, they've got a lot of technology on combine harvesters, sure. all the other stuff, but it it can't be connected directly to a 4G network because there isn't any. There, yeah. might, there might be at the farm, sure. but not out in the fields because it and they. So what it does, it stores stuff locally and then goes park up at night. It it does downloads. Downloads it, yeah. But presumably for autonomous plant and stuff like that, you. You need it straight away, don't you? So no, in that situation, what would you have? A little base station that goes back, so you, you sort of connect it into the network. Absolutely. Um, I th I think we're we're seeing a real sea change. I think you know the we, we're dealing with the likes of Caterpillar and Komatsu, and you know the guys who are manufacturing now. They're manufacturing this technology in in a you know a, a manufacture stage, but the reliance is still on. How do I get reliable comms when I've now got eight kilometres of road, you know, on the 428 or 20 kilometres of road on the Lower Thames crossing, you know? And we're quite fortunate in the UK. We've got generally very good coverage from the mobile networks, but we've also got some changes. Ofcom have made some changes, and they've allowed us now to go and create customers private LTE or private 5G, so we can build our own infrastructure for the project. We can leave it behind as a legacy, so we can, you know, allow um, users with their own mobile devices to connect to it. Um, but while we're building our construction project, we can have reliable comms distributed around that site using our own private 5G, 4G network, um, which is a real sea change, and I think that's really, you know, something that's helping the autonomous plant sector. Well, on that note, let's wrap up this conversation. Stuart has been really insightful and thank you for joining me today. Where can the listeners get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more or get in touch with you because they are interested in you? Um, obviously, Tim, I'll give you my details and, 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 and anyone's welcome to reach out to us. We've got, obviously, our two websites. We've got onwave.com and we've got owl-bi.com. So, um, we'll, we'll add them in the show notes Lovely, so, thanks, and yeah. your LinkedIn profile address and things like that. So, if you need to find Stuart, look in the show notes. Anyway, wonderful to all of our listeners today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Construction Big Breakfast. We have a new episode every week or so. Just click the subscribe button, turn on your notifications so you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, we'd appreciate a five-star review. And if you've enjoyed this episode today, please like it and share it, as this helps us reach more listeners. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast or looking to collaborate in other ways, visit us at uh, invent.com. Again, the link's in the description. Fill out the contact form. One of my team will be in contact with you very quickly. So thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Want to learn more about how Invent can help your business maximize its bottom line? 
head on over to www.invent.com and get in touch with our team today. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.